that. And so I get to kick off the Romans 8 series that John was talking about. And I'm really excited for this summer uh, series because I would argue that Romans 8 is a pinnacle chapter of the Bible. And there's going to be several guys up here leading you through uh, small chunks of this, this uh, chapter. And it's really a foundational part of, of everything that uh, we do overseas. Paul is able to thread in all sorts the whole storyline of the Bible, right? God's plan for redeeming his people is brought home in this one chapter. And there are many, many, many highlights that are going to be hit over the coming weeks. But tonight, we're going to focus in on verses 1 through 4. So if you're going to be following me along in your Bibles, go to Romans 8 and just sit on 1 through 4. And regardless of whether or not you've been a Christian your entire life, whether you're a new Christian, or whether or not you were reluctantly brought into this room against your will and you just, you can't wait for it to be done, we are going to see some transforming truths in this passage of scripture, and then we're going to look at some applications that there will be for us today. So Romans 8, 1 through 4, let's read this together. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. So verse one is your first map statement of the night. If you're, I know you don't have the maps in your hand, but if you're taking notes, that's one to um, jot down is verse one. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's the first note and it's the main point of our text tonight, so it merits repeating. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so Paul makes this statement, and the following verses that we're going to look at explain why he's able to make this life-altering truth, because we have to look and see what's here. Paul is, so we have this key word, condemnation. So let's look at that and see if we can define it, and try to, a lot of times when we come to scripture, we have to clear our minds of everything else that the world likes to put in there. Particularly if you're a person who scrolls through Facebook, you really want to clear your mind of everything that is in there when we come to God's word. So when you think of condemnation, try to put out all of the, everything that's happening in our country, all of the easily, how we easily condemn things and people and anyone and anything, and think of this word as like a legal, in a legal sense, in a courtroom setting, right? Typically we, we use the word we hear the word sentencing a lot, right, in a courtroom. Someone, so you have, someone does something criminal. They go to court. They're judged guilty, and the judge passes sentence, sentencing on them. And the sentence could be anything from a few years in jail to, to a life sentence. But typically, whenever the death penalty is involved, it's weightier. 
it's heavier. And typically the headline will read, so-and-so condemned to death. Because this word is a bit heavier than just the sentencing idea. This means that you are destined for an end result of death. And so we have to look and see, why does Paul get to say that there is now no condemnation for those, and here's a quantifier we're going to keep looking at this evening, in Christ Jesus. And so where and how did this condemnation come about in the first place? Where, where did this um, really weighty sentence come from? And so Romans 8 is not only a pinnacle chapter of the entire Bible, but it's also a summary chapter of all the arguments that Paul has been making really since Romans 1 up through 7. And he really starts hitting it hard in Romans 4, 5, 6, and 7. And so we're going to go back into to Paul's letter, and we're going to look and see at chapter 5, verse 16. And there it says, And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So we have that same word, condemnation, here that we see in Romans chapter 1. And the condemnation is brought about by one trespass, by one man's sin. And who's that sin? That's Adam's original sin. So Adam's in the garden, right? He has just a few commandments to work with. Don't eat of that fruit. And he decides that he's going to rebel against God and against God's commandment. And that is when sin enters the world. And Adam fell, so we as humans all fall because we all come from Adam's lineage. And we're talking here about the flesh nature. See, in, in the Bible, flesh can be used in, several, in, in really two ways you see it. Flesh as the meat that is on your skeleton, and then flesh as in your sinful nature, the one that, that we, wants to rebel against God. And so all humans have this flesh nature in us because we are all Adam's Descendants. See, Adam's original sin was disobedience, and through that disobedience to God's commandment, condemnation for people entered into the world, and the result of that condemnation would be death. The one man's sin brought condemnation. But this verse then also talks about the flip side. It talks about a free gift that is combating the condemnation that Adam brought on to us all. And the free gift, it says, follow, following many trespasses, brought justification. And that free gift is the one that we can have in Jesus Christ. See, Jesus came and he was obedient to God's law, holy and fully. And through his obedience, we are justified. Justification can be ours through life in Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at that a bit in more detail, the idea of justification, but we see here now in this verse 1 that a shift has occurred in history because Paul gets to say that there is therefore now no condemnation. So that means that before there was condemnation, but now there is a way, and it comes in those words of in 
Christ Jesus. So liberation can be obtained for us from the condemnation that we bring upon ourselves because of our sin. And moving into verse 2, now we start to see some of the explanation that Paul is going to give us as to why he can make this statement. So in verse 2 he says, For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So we know so far that Adam's sin brought condemnation on all humanity, but now those in Christ Jesus are free, are no longer under condemnation. And this verse brings in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And we see here first the law of the Spirit of life has set you free. So when you see this word law here, we need to be looking at, this is not the Mosaic law. This is, that's not what it's talking about. Think of... Think of like a, a guiding principle or an active principle. I'm an engineer by schooling, so like I have like the first law of thermodynamics running around in my brain. I don't know if that correlates to all of you, but it's the idea of a, of a guiding principle, something, something that is true, an active principle. And so we see here that the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus, so sin's power to condemn us has been rendered useless. We have been justified, like we saw in Romans 5, 16. And we need to make a clarifying difference here. We need to see this as justification and then sanctification. We are justified, justified at the moment of of turning away from our sin and turning toward Jesus. We are made right before God. We, before where we were enemies of God, now we are reconciled to God through faith because we've been justified or made right in his sight and Jesus' righteousness has been credited to us. It's not the other way around. You don't sanctify yourself up until the point of justification. You don't work real hard at being a good Christian and get to the point of being so holy and so sanctified that now you're justified. That's not what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. There's a transformation that is occurring in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the Spirit has the ability and the willingness to set you free from the, the law or to break you free from the, the realm of sin and, and repent replaces eternal spiritual death with eternal spiritual life. The Bible puts it in Colossians 1, 13 through 14. The Bible puts it that Jesus delivers us from the domain of darkness, from that principle, that law of sin and death. He delivers us from that and transfers us to the kingdom of God through the new life that we have in the spirit. We have been set free and so we're transferred to this new kingdom where we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And faith is what brings this about for us. Faith, turning away from sin, turning to God, brings about this freedom and this liberation from condemnation that we know has existed because all the way back to Adam because of his original sin. And so... 
verses 3 and 4, we're going to look at those together. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So let's look at this and break this down a bit um, because there is definitely a lot going on here. And remember, so we, we've already seen the word law, right, in the previous, in the previous verse. Sorry. And so, so now, for God has done what the law, and this is capital L law. This is the Mosaic law now. This is the law that Moses was given. Think of the Ten Commandments. Think of all the other commandments that came through the Old Testament for the Israelites. This is now that law. So we're, we've moved away from the idea of a thermodynamics principle, and now we're looking at the commandments that God has given to his people. So what was it that the law could not do? Well, verse 2 gives us the answer. Verse 2, it, it couldn't provide humans freedom from sin and the resulting death that that incurs. And why was that? Because it was weakened by the flesh. Romans chapter 7, just the preceding chapter to this, would say, Paul would say there that the law actually aroused sin in human beings, meaning it stirred, the law stirs up sin inside of us. That rebellious nature that we have inside of us that we can trace the whole way back to Adam. Whenever the law came, Paul says, before the law came, I didn't know what coveting was. But then the law came, and it told me that coveting was a sin, and my sin nature coveted everything. And that's, a, that's an easy thing to grasp, right? Particularly if you're a parent. If you're a parent of children, that should be really easy, right? You tell your kid not to do something, or you tell them that this certain thing is bad, that you shouldn't do that because you're a good parent and you're looking out for them. You tell them not to do it, and what do they do? They want to figure out what it is that mom or dad's not letting me do. There's got to be something good about it, right? So I want to go and do that. And so they we see that the law, it actually magnified our problem of sin. It put a spotlight on our sin. Now, the law itself was not bad. It was completely and utterly righteous. It was actually glorious, the Bible says. But it was weakened by our flesh, and it could not provide us the freedom from the condemnation that we were under because of our sin. And 2 Corinthians chapter 3 makes that very clear, that there's this comparison between Moses' Moses's ministry concerning the law and Paul's new ministry, or ministry concerning the new, the new covenant, the ministry of the spirit of life. You see, the law, the, and this is the point, the law in and of itself was not weak. It was given by God as a standard of his righteousness. But our flesh, our sinful desires, is what 
weakened it. The, the law was actually, when, when Moses came back down off the mountain, he radiated with God's glory. I don't know if it was on him, in him, but it, his face shone so brightly, he, he would cover his face so the Israelites could look at him. And so the law has, has this glory, but even on Moses' body, that glory begins to fade. It would say that, that later on in his life, he would actually keep the veil on to keep the Israelites from seeing that the glory of the law was fading away because something new was, was coming. But the law is weakened by the weakness of our sinful nature. And God knew that. And we see here then that by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So God, in all of his loving kindness, decides to send Jesus. And we have John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever should believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world. He knew that we were powerless to save ourselves. Now, the Israelites had a method of forgiveness of sins, and we're not going to look into that too much tonight. That might come on later into the summer, but there was, there was a process. There was a way that you could um, sacrifice and provide offerings, but the Bible says without the, the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin, and so the Israelites used you know, animals throughout the Old Testament to make sacrifice, to offer sin offerings, but we, in and of ourselves, had no ability, have no ability to save ourselves. But Jesus comes, and he's in the likeness of sinful flesh. So he looked like us. He was in the likeness. As it doesn't say that he came as sinful flesh. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. So he was God, and he came, and he wasn't a giraffe, he wasn't, he wasn't a donkey. He wasn't a Martian. He looked like you and I, just another normal person, a Jew. And in that likeness of sinful flesh, it says he condemned, he condemned sin in the flesh because that's what he was sent to do. He was on a rescue operation to save people from their sins. And so, the gospel story, right, as typically as succinct as we can say it, is God, Jesus comes, lives a perfect life, never sins. He is, he, he gathers a bunch of followers around himself. He starts proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, they don't like that message. It's combating against them. And they condemn him. They look at him and they say, he is condemned. And they work their tails off to make sure that he sees death. They had to work against the clock to get his murder in before the Passover feast. That's how condemned Jesus was in their eyes. But it wasn't because of his sin, because we know that Jesus was blameless. So whose sin was it that put him in that position? Now, it wasn't our sin that put him in that position before the Pharisees. 
But when he was on the cross, it was Nate's sin that he bore in his body. It was John's sin, Kevin's sin, Kathy's sin that he bore in his body. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it plainly. For our sake, he made him, Jesus, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And 1 Peter 2.24 says he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. And so we see that that is exactly what Jesus did. He condemned our sin in his flesh on the cross. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So what is the righteous requirement of the law? And how is it fulfilled in us? Well, the righteous requirement of the law, if you were to be made righteous by the law, you would have to live fully and wholly submitted to God's commands. Fully and wholly obedient to God's law. God could not you, you cannot obtain righteousness on your own. We cannot obtain that righteousness on our own, and that is why Jesus had to come. See, Jesus is the solution to the problematic condition of condemnation that the law poses to humans. There's this, in, in Romans chapter 4, um, 5, Romans chapter 4, we see that faith brings about righteousness. Righteousness is credited to us by faith. And Paul uses the example of Abraham in that chapter. See, Abraham's faith, you know, Abraham and Sarah were getting very, very old, well beyond childbearing age. And they were promised a son. And so, I mean, think of, you know, your, your 82-year-old grandmother and grandfather telling you that they're going to have a child. They were promised a son. And when everything seemed lost, it says that he continued, Abraham continued to believe, and his faith was credited to him as righteousness. He believed that God was able to do what he had promised and then that same thing is correlated to us that our righteousness is counted to us who believe in God, who raised Jesus from the dead, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised up for our justification. Our faith in that, that is credited to us as righteousness. So the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us now. We weren't able to do it before. It is only through the power of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who lives inside of us, who, the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know how you want to think about that in your brain. But it is through that power that now the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled 
in us. And we could not obtain it ourselves. That is why Jesus had to come. So now those in Christ, through faith, are free from condemnation that the law demanded due to our flesh's our flesh weaknesses. And that freedom is brought about because of God's intentional plan to give his righteousness to sinful people through faith in Jesus Christ. See, God, God now writes his heart onto our law. 2 Corinthians 3 also has statements in it like that that just really caught my attention as I was reading this because this past week, whenever I was preparing this, 2 Corinthians 3 wasn't in my mind, and I don't remember what led me to it. Um, actually, I do. And I'm going I'm to put a small plug in for the YouVersion app. Um, if you, it was YouVersion uh, Daily Verse that led me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 this past week. And as I started reading 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I just started to see the connections to Romans 8. And if you don't use the YouVersion app... I would encourage you to do so. The, the, the content that they put out, now again, everything good comes with a few bad things, but I'm actually a uh, content reviewer um, for version, and I can tell you that the content that they put out is checked according to biblical standard uh, theology. And now granted, there's lots of volunteers and a wide range of people and backgrounds, but typically it's very, very good content. So that was the end of my shameless plug for the YouVersion app. So that led me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and I started looking at that and seeing how we have this, we have this law. And it is so glorious that it causes a man to radiate with God's glory that he shines so brightly just from being in God's presence, having the tablets. And now the Bible talks about how that same presence and power that wrote on those tablets writes it on our hearts. And that even though that was so glorious, the glory of the new covenant, the glory, so, and, and even, even further, that law was called the ministry of condemnation in 2 Corinthians 3 the ministry of condemnation, and it compares it to the ministry of the spirit of life, and it says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Remember, we've set, been set free from the law of sin and death, and it says that there's so much glory in that. If you're a born-again believer, there's so much glory in you that when it's compared to the glory of the old thing, the thing that caused Moses to radiate, it's like that doesn't even have any glory. So let that truth sit on you for a while. What's inside of you is that glorious if you're a believer in Christ. And one day when Mike likes to say we will shed the mortal coil, we will see that glory revealed. And now, because of all of that, we no longer walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So what does that mean? What does that look like? And I think it's a logical place for us to start drawing our applications from. So what does it mean to walk according to the flesh, or not to walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit? 
we see that there's a transformation that has happened. There's a transformation that has occurred in a person who decides to commit their life to Christ, to turn away from their sin and turn to him. We, we, been, we begin to combat our sin. We are given the power to conquer sin through the daily walk with the Spirit. And transformation begins happening, not conforming. And this, there's, the, you know Romans 12, 1 through 2, where it talks about be transformed by the renewing of your mind and do not be conformed to the world. That conformed, it's only used one other time in Scripture in the New Testament, and that's in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, where Peter is addressing the believers, and he says, don't be conformed back into your old lustful desires. And I find that interesting because Peter would also go on to talk about the idea of rather than being conformed, to be transformed in the newness of life through the Spirit. And so I was doing a Bible study with some guys, um, some guys from, from Harvest and other churches and whatnot, and we were studying First Peter. And this point was actually brought up by someone else, and I started looking at it. And you know, the verb there, conformed, is a passive verb, meaning you don't have to do anything to be conformed. The things around you, your external circumstances, if you're letting it, is conforming you into something. But being transformed, that's active. That means you're deliberately doing something to be transformed or someone is deliberately doing something to you in order for your transformation. And so... We no longer walk according to the flesh. We're no longer conformed to the desires of our sinful nature, but we are transformed by the renewing of our mind, by the new life that is given to us by the Spirit. And those that have turned to Jesus walk in the new life. It would even be so far again, in, we would know that the, the Israelites from, from 2 Corinthians 3, that Paul would say, even to this day, when the old code is read, they put a veil on their face, because Moses wore a veil. And he says, because of their hardened hearts, their, the veil is still there. It's still obscuring the truth. But those that have turned to Christ have had the veil removed. So now... We are free from condemnation and we are being transformed and the righteous requirement of the law is being fulfilled in us and we are being transformed into his image. So the spirit who has set us free from condemnation now enables Christians to live a new life serving God, conquering sin, and loving others. So Christians sitting in here today, do you really live do you live like you've truly been set free from sin? Or do you live like you're a victim to it? Like it still has power over you? Because again, we're, Paul is bringing lots of points home here. He would say earlier in the chapter that you are no longer a slave to sin, but a slave to Christ. He would say you are no longer bound to the old written code, but you have been set free to the newness of life. So how do you live? Romans 7, 6 would say that we are released from the law and its consequences. 
And now we serve God in a newness of life. So it's not about performance. Remember, we were talking about that. It's not about your performance. Walking according to the Spirit is not you being a real good Christian and trying to earn righteousness. You're being transformed. And you're free to love others. Um, We are free to love other people, no matter what they've done, no matter what their Facebook posts are, no matter what you think their viewpoints are on anything. You are free to love other people. You are free to love other people. You actually don't have to hate on them. Isn't that liberating? I find it liberating. That you do not have to worry about other people. And what they're doing and whether they're wearing a mask or not, it doesn't matter. You are free to love other people. And I know that that is a hot button issue. And I did not want to talk about it, but here I am. So I'm going to take that as the Holy Spirit leading me to talk. Briefly say that I just, I want to encourage you that if you are walking according to the Spirit, people are watching. They're watching you. If you say you're a Christian, they are taking notice of how you act. They are taking notice of the things you post. They are taking notice of the way that you handle yourself. And that is true across the board. Even one of the, if you talk to people overseas um, from, from really any any background, any, any religious background, and you talk to them about what really, what really brought you to faith. You know, was it the, the foreigner coming into your village and having all sorts of tracts and handing them out and, and all of that? Or was it, you know, you heard a message on a radio or whatever. A lot of the time, what they will tell you is, we know that this person is a Christian and we watched how they live and we realized we wanted to live like that. We couldn't tell exactly what was, we didn't know what was different, but we knew that that person was different. And the Bible says that they will know, the world will know that you are my disciple by how you love one another. I think each one of us should take very careful inventory of how we're treating one another today. I think each of us should wake up in the morning asking God to give us the power of the Holy Spirit to live in order to serve God, conquer sin, and love others. Two of the greatest commandments that Jesus would say they are is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two big ones. All right, so moving on. So then, there's something else I think we we want to look at and address quickly, and that's the idea of still struggling with sin. And this will be, again, I think you're going to see more of this in the coming weeks, but we're going to touch on it here that you've you've been telling me, Nate, that I've been set free from condemnation. I am free from the law of sin and death, but why do I still sin? Well, remember, we are still Adam's descendants. And we know that we will wrestle with our sinful desire. We will wrestle 
with sin. 1 John 1, 7 through 9 says that if we have fellowship, if we have fellowship with God through Jesus, his blood cleanses us from all sin. But if we say we have no sin at all, then we're liars. And John's speaking to believers in that. that we are liars and we even make God a liar. But the the confession of our sins brings about the forgiveness of our sins. And so if if you're a Christian in here and you're struggling with sin, and it could be, it could be a years long addiction to something, it could be you find yourself more easily upset nowadays than you were before. Um, You could find yourself worrying all the time, which, depending on how it affects you, could be sinful. We wrestle with that, but what have we been given? We've been given the newness of life and the spirit in order to combat that all of those sins. And that is what walking according to the spirit, that mentality or the willingness that we should have because we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. A lot of times I think we relegate the work of the Spirit to like one act of saving grace, right? You, you're at church camp when you're young, you're here and there's an altar call or there's a prayer and someone's, you're led in a prayer and I'm not knocking the prayer, but we ask, ask the Holy Spirit into your heart, right? If you've gone to VBS, you've heard that before, and that's true sense. We know that the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us, but then it's like we don't really think that the Holy Spirit does much more than that sometimes, that he's just, he's just there, and he's the guy that you prayed to to be a Christian once, and that's all there is to it. But we see in Scripture that actually, no, there's a powerful work happening in you every day, sanctifying you and transforming you into the image of, of Jesus. And Christians, we need to wake up every day focused on the Holy Spirit and how he wants us to walk that day. How are we going to live our life honoring and serving God? Are we waking up ready for war? Because you're going to go to war tomorrow with your sin. I, I was watching a Netflix, uh, I don't even remember what it was called, something about homegrown sports had like ox racing in Indonesia and everything. It was really cool. But then I came to this Italian blood sport. And it is one of the coolest things you will ever see played on a field. I guarantee it. If, if you like that sort of thing. Think of rugby meets karate meets MMA with a soccer ball. And it is no holds barred. They play it one time a year because it's so violent that the players need a year to recover. I'm not kidding. And they don't even get paid for it. It's voluntary employment. So these guys, they're interviewing them, and there's just something mentally like... They have a mindset that they... So it was game day, right? It's game day, and the, champ, the, the two teams that are playing for the championship. By the way, you can only play it if you are born in one of four counties in Florence, Italy. So even if you wanted to, you can't. But they, 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 it was game day, and they're interviewing these guys, and you can tell. They woke up with a mentality. And the one thing that the, the one guy, all he said was, we woke up today knowing we're going to war. And I thought, my gosh, what a mentality 
to have, and they went to war. I mean, there were broken ribs, like noses busted off, and that's, that's in, we should take our war with sin that seriously. We should. Now, whether we do or not, that's a whole different conversation, but do you take your war with sin that seriously? Now, you are free from the condemnation that sin brings to you. There is grace, right? But do we really think of our sin in such a way that we realize that that our sin, Nate's sin, is what put Jesus on the cross and held him there until the condemnation was completed? Honestly, I think if I woke up every morning thinking about that, I think I'd live a little bit differently, if I'm being honest with you. And for those of you in here tonight who think Christianity is a fool's errand, who think that it's just all a bunch of hogwash, why don't you tell me what your escape plan is after the service? Because the truth of the Bible says that if those of you who are not in Christ, you stand condemned before a holy God. And if you do not ask for forgiveness of your sins through Jesus Christ, not only do you stand condemned before a holy God, but he will pass a punishment and a judgment upon you and send you into hell, which is not where the wicked people go to have fun. And Satan isn't there ruling it with a pitchfork. God's presence... God's wrath is on people in hell. And you will weep and you will gnash your teeth. That's your sentence for the sin that you commit. For the disobedience to God's law. And there is no escape from it. There's no sense of moralism. You can't follow Oprahism. Scientology isn't going to get you there. Hinduism isn't going to get you there. Islam is not going to get you there. Nothing stands between you and God except Jesus. He is our one defense. The song that we sang earlier, and the worship team did an amazing job with those songs. He is our one defense before a holy God who must punish sin because he is holy by nature. But the good news is what we've already heard here tonight. That freedom can be yours. Peace with God is available to you through faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, but it is the gift of God. Remember that free gift? Jesus' obedience brings justification meaning being made right before God. If you hope in anything other than Jesus, you will be greatly, greatly disappointed. And so to close tonight, I'm actually going to steal a quote from John Piper because he says things a lot better than I will say them. So we're just going to read the quote. This is the gospel we preach to the entire world, to every religion, There is one God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the uncreated, eternal, divine Son of God, whom God sent in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin in order to die for sinners 
so that all who believe might be saved from his wrath and for his glory. The most loving thing we can do for people is to peacefully, meekly, and sacrificially proclaim to them the gospel of Jesus Christ, without which no one will be saved. That is the very good news that Romans 8, 1 through 4 speaks to us tonight. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.